you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. It's my absolute pleasure to have on the show today Curtis McGrath. Curtis served in the Australian Army as a combat engineer for six years, where he served with honor in East Timor, Indonesia, and in Afghanistan. But things changed in August 2012. On the 23rd of August, Curtis was on a patrol where he stepped right on an improvised explosive device, which detonated and took both his legs. Only 20 minutes after the explosion, Curtis famously said, you will see me in the Paralympics. 18 months after that fateful day, Curtis was crowned world champion at the World Sprint Canoe Championships in Moscow, Russia. And in 2016, just after over four years after losing his legs, Curtis, true to his word, not only made it to the Paralympics, but he made history in becoming the first Australian to win a Paralympic gold medal in the Paracanoe event at the 2016 Para Games in Rio, Brazil. That in 2017, he was actually awarded an Australia, an Order of Australia for his services to sport. And he's also an ambassador for the two, was also an ambassador for the 2018 Invictus Games in Sydney. It's an absolute pleasure and joy to have you on the show, Curtis. I'm sure you're right in the middle of training for the next Olympics, but thank you for gifting us your time today and allowing us to share your story. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. How does it feel when you hear your bio being being read back? Does it take you back to that fateful day? How do you feel, Curtis, hearing all that stuff again? I was actually talking to a friend the other day and, you know, talking about you know, my story and what I'd been through. And it's funny now sitting here seven years later and reminiscing about those moments and to think back on it and it almost seems like it didn't happen in a way like or it was a different life or a a different part of me so um but I you know I remember it very vividly so but having that sort of disconnect towards what I was up to then uh, towards what I'm up to now is so different that it's it is sort of unworldly in a way so it's it's cool to have those memories and, and you know remember what people did for me in the sport that has been around me in order to get where I am now. And that's uh, a really special uh, gift, I think. So can we um, go back to that day in August? Are you um, able to share with our listeners what actually happened? Yes, of course. Um, so as, as you uh, said in, in the intro, um, I was in Afghanistan in 2012 and um, we were tasked to clear a, a checkpoint area where um, uh, the insurgents had sort of laid a lot of IEDs or improvised explosive devices uh, in the area. Um, and we were finding them sort of on a, a daily or half-daily basis. So every six hours we sort of come across something pretty sinister on the ground. And um, making making the area safe was our job as a combat engineer and it was our role to uh, get rid of find and get rid of the uh, IEDs in the ground and on the 23rd of August um, at about 11 o'clock in the morning we had approval to explosively remove this very large boulder that was blocking like the main road to the checkpoint so um, 
in this in this time um, and in, on this particular patrol, we're working in some pretty uh, hard conditions, challenging conditions. Uh, we're working about three thousand meters above sea level. It's probably about forty degrees. Uh, we've got about fifteen. 20 kilos worth of kit we're carrying around and we're probably working about 13 14 hour days um and with all that you know the the time that we're out there it's been three months of so far in in afghanistan and we've got a bit of a feel for the place but we had not actually come across any ieds before this patrol so it was a very different um patrol and you know the, the the threat was increased and the danger was obviously increased as well so making it very uh, fatiguing on the body to uh, and the mind to focus on what the instructions were and you know continually be in, in, in a very present mind and on this uh, particular task um, I got a bit confused and I went over to a, a different boulder that was in no way blocking the main road it was blocking a different uh, part of the checkpoint so I was sitting there waiting for um, the, the rest of the patrol to come over to me and my mate Pitch came over to me. He's like, mate, what are you doing? You need to be over the other roll, boulder. And I was like, oh, you, of course, idiot. So I stood up and I, I wasn't searching at the time. Um, I was just walking along. My metal tick was all packed up and, and sort of compacted into its um, compact version. And uh, Pitch was about 10 meters behind me sort of poddling along. Um, and... Uh, that's when it happened. Um, you know, there, there was no warning sign. There was no click. There was, for me, there was no bang. There was, um, there was nothing. And what I do remember of that that situation was, um, I, I sort of opened my eyes from the flat of my back. It's sort of dark, and you know, this is eleven o'clock in the morning, so the sun's out. Um, it's it's quite dark. The dust is sort of blown up into the air, and covered the sun and there's lots of dirt and debris falling from the sky and i'm very confused and dazed about what had just happened it's sort of not too sure what has happened so i get up on my elbows and have a look around and then i then i see what's happened i knew exactly what what had just happened so um, i'm looking around i can see the blast crater next to me i don't have the rifle or my metal detector in my hands anymore um i can see my legs are missing and there's a whole lot of blood coming out of them um, and filling up the, the blast crater that's next to me. Um, and, and it wasn't until I actually saw what, what had happened that the pain hit me. It was probably, you know, two or three seconds um, after the blast that this has happened. And um, a lot of people think that when uh, that sort of trauma happens, you don't feel it. But I felt absolutely everything. And um, it just sort of felt like being, you know, thousands of cuts all over me whilst being crushed by a truck and being set on fire at the same time. It's very hard to explain how intense that pain was. Um, as well as my job as a combat engineer, I was also my uh, team's sort of unofficial medic. I wasn't trained as a medic. It was just another course that we did in order to upskill and have someone who was a little bit further trained within the first aid area of our, our role. And that, that role was mine. So I'm, you know, worried about uh, trying to treat other people in this situation and have the the training and the, the education and to understand what what sort of issues that are about to arise um, on someone who's missing a limb, and obviously that person is me. So I, I I know that I need to stop the bleeding from my legs. Tried to pull a tourniquet out and, and wrap it around my legs. Unfortunately, I couldn't managed to do that um i had a lot of broken bones in my left hand which i didn't know until i woke up you know a couple of couple of hours later um after being put asleep but 
um, Pitch came running over to me. I yelled at him and he came running over to me and, and put on the tourniquets and, and you know, stemmed the bleeding in a way. And I knew I was in pretty bad shape because I could feel myself going into shock, you know, short, sharp breaths and sort of trying to catch my breath in a way and um, a little bit sort of fit, uh, drowsy in a way. And so I, um, I, I started telling the guys how to get the IV fluid and everything ready and, and finding the vein. And, and that's when the, the other combat first aider, um, from the infantry guys uh, came over to me. His name's Cordy, and he he took over the IV process. And, and the guys are all sort of you know flustered and confused about what to do next. And obviously, I'm the one with the training, so they're not quite sure what the process is. So, you know, I was in a fair bit of pain. So I, I asked the boys to get get the morphine out and, and process that uh, task. And you know, that was a, a little bit of a a tricky one because it was before we were given EpiPens. So they had to draw up the, the morphine and um, get all that right because, you know, you can overdose on morphine and that can be fatal as well. So had to be careful. But um, the guys did exactly what I asked and exactly, you know, how I asked them to do it. And I'm very fortunate to remember this and, and you know, to remember what people were doing for me and, um, you know, the way people acted with such courage and bravery in, in that situation. And to see their, their mate laying on the ground, um, it's not just traumatic for me, but it's traumatic for them. And it's traumatic for my, you know, my mum getting a knock on the door back in Australia, my dad getting a message at work. And you know, that, that, those, that trauma is rippling through all my family and, and friends. And it's, it's, it's I think, um, it's, a, it's an unsort of seen or, or forgotten aspect of, of someone going through trauma. It's not just about that person who's been affected directly. There's all this indirect trauma that's being filtered through. So. Um, Gosh, and then yeah. and then twenty minutes. You say I'm going to be in the Paralympics. Where where did that come from? Like, what do you think was driving that? What made you say or even commit yeah. to that? So, <laughs> remember the years 2012. The London Olympics was um, on, and you know, just before we went onto this patrol, it, it had just wrapped up. So we'd come back from our patrols and um, watched some TV, some weightlifting, some athletics, and basketball and whatnot, and. And really, sort of feel like we're you know watching watching all this, and then it wrapped up, and then the promotion for the Paralympics was there and um, on TV, and we'd obviously see these athletes doing amazing thing, and, and it, the London Games were a real turning point for the Paralympic movement. Um, Channel Four over there did did some amazing promotion um, in order to grow the Paralympic movement to make people realize the, the the work and the time and the effort that a Paralympic athlete puts in to, in order to achieve greatness is you know was was above and beyond somewhat of of what an Olympian does so you know they're dealing with their disability on a daily basis let alone getting out there and punching out a, a you know a 10 second 100 meter sprint like it's just phenomenal so we'd see this and you know i saw a couple of double amputees sprinting around a track and um you know some double amputees pushing a, a wheelchair and i i thought you know in that moment that trauma was not just my trauma like i said and i could see the guys were hurting from it and um i thought i'd make a comment that would maybe make them feel better and uh, i said you guys will see me in the Paralympics. Um, and I, yeah, so I, I don't know whether that affected them in a way, but you know, we're joking about losing brand new boots and trying to use humor and you know, black humor and, and dark humor in order to overcome that adversity and that trauma that we're all going through. So, um, and, that, and, and that's why I said it. 
And, and before we get on to what you've done since, I just want to touch on, that. There, was there ever a moment, a, a dark moment in, after that uh, explosion where you really had to work out what's next and dig deep? And how, how did you do that? Because I'm imagining, like, it takes a certain type of character to be able to step forward. Yeah, there's a number of um, you know difficult moments in, in the time after that, and especially um, I'd like to highlight that the time when I realised that I was now a disabled person. Um, that was a really um, difficult thing for me to come to terms with. You know, I was a very active individual, um, and, and you know a lot of running and adventure and, and mountain climbing and things like that before um, I got injured and. and for me, I thought that was all taken away from me. I lost it all, and it, with my legs, it was you know stolen from from me in a way. And um, and then I sort of got this opportunity to um, push through and, and find myself having uh, to set goals in order to see a positive way forward. And that was um, you know, something that changed my life for me. Um, I had not been very goal orientated before, um, and I and I wasn't aware that I was sort of setting these goals. Um, it was sort of something that I'd say I would do, and you know, there's there's definitely evidence out there that if you're telling people about your your hopes and dreams, you're more likely to achieve them. So um, that's what I was doing. I was telling people that what I was trying to do, and um, hoping that I would, you know, with with that with that knowledge and those other people around me that they would support me and help me achieving that. And that's exactly what was happening. So um, it was sort of realizing that I'd sort of lost so much, but I'd also was looking about what was ahead of me and what I can do rather than what I can't. And that was something that um, I, I kept having to rely on, uh, you know, saying those words in my mind about you know, what's ahead and what sort of things can I do that's engaging and stimulating for myself as well as, you know, getting better. So the importance of of setting it's almost like the small steps, isn't it? And celebrating each little yeah. moment of achieving. Can you re, can you remember what the first goal was that you set yourself, and how you felt when you got there? Yeah, well, I suppose I have to give the give the context of of the situation of my you know the difficulty of what I've what I've been through, and you know sitting in a hospital bed for three months, um, being you know now a disabled person feeling I'd lost everything um, and, and not seeing what was ahead of me was difficult. And um, I, you know, I was thinking about, you know, how am I going to get back to what I used to be able to do and sort of suss that out that, you know, prosthetic legs were probably going to be a part of my life in, in the future. So I started to get as fit as I could and as strong as I could. So I set the goal firstly to be up walking for when the guys got home from Afghanistan, a very big and difficult goal considering the extent of my injuries. But I was healing much faster than what the doctors were, were expecting. And, you know, I was progressing really well. And, you know, I started off in physio in the hospital for about, you know, doing five minutes a day. And then by the end of my time in hospital, I was doing about four hours, five hours. So looking at that, you know, I was very motivated in terms of getting, back to what I what I used to be and in, in, in a way um, in my own way I guess and uh, yeah mm. from there and it you know the guys got back on the 28th of November and I was out walking two days before that so I achieved that goal and I think me achieving that goal 
sort of highlighted to me and made me realize that if you can set a goal, that a realistic goal, definitely, um, and have the support of the people around you, you, it really opens your mind up to what is possible. That's so fabulous. And, and you did, you made it all possible. Yeah. Uh, winning the, not just getting to the Paralympics, but actually winning gold. Can, can you remember that moment? Like what did that moment mean for you? Um, yeah, so once you get selected onto the team, it's it's about you know six months out from the games, and there's obviously a lot of work and, and, and effort goes into those six months in order to get to the to Paralympics in a very fit and healthy and strong manner. And um, I approached the game as one of the favourites, which was really cool. But at the same time, I felt like a little bit of pressure. Um, it wasn't obvious pressure at the time, but um, I was very lucky to have a, a very good um, support team around me. My, the high-performance team with Paddle Australia was amazing, and, and let alone um, at home I had amazing support as well with my wife and well, now wife. Um, so that was really cool. But when I lined up in the final race, you know, I, I knew that I had to be focused a bit more, um, feeling as though that, the race was the only thing that mattered. Um, whether that be a, you know, a personal best performance or a podium performance or a gold medal performance, I was very much in the way of thinking that uh, as long as I do as best I can, that's all that matters. And you know, I, I raced and I raced very well, and I st- stuck to my own race plan and looked. Uh, I didn't look around. I didn't race to anyone else's sort of cadence or anything like that. And I think that really helped me. And I've got a very uh, strong finish in my race and um, I'm not very good at the start. So I had to come to terms with not being the best for the majority of the race and, and being the best at the end. And I don't I think, that, you know, there's there's that famous saying, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I think um, it doesn't matter where you are halfway through a project or a, a situation or a challenge it's how you come out the other side of it and um, for me when I crossed that line I, I finally felt so much relief and I was expecting to feel joy and happiness and excitement and what I I didn't have any of that what I did feel was was this huge wave of relief and it was just um, sort of debilitating I couldn't feel anything else other than thank god that's over thank god i'd achieved that thank god i'd been i I got to this point and and was able to achieve everything that i um i did with with sport and and my recovery and my friends and family and it was an amazing feeling what have you learned about yourself curtis through over the last few years um in hindsight looking back i'm far more resilient than i thought i was um i had a very privileged upbringing you know my my parents are still together and happily married and and loving and they gave me everything that i could ask for or wanted and and, or needed firstly and then and then you know a few wants on the side and there's um i don't really know where that resilience comes from and i think um it was a surprise to me for me to come through uh my adversity and my challenges uh in the mindset and in the position I am now. And um, also I think, you know, looking from a different perspective now and it's going back to that realizing that I'm now a disabled person 
and I had no idea of the challenges of a disabled person before that. It just wasn't on my scope. Uh, it wasn't in my mind. It wasn't something that I'd ever thought that would happen to me. I, and understanding, you know, the, the difficulties of daily life as a disabled person. And I, I use a wheelchair at home and prosthetics out, out and about. So um, having to deal with different, you know, aspects of mobility is um, really interesting. And, and it's very sort of engages the the the, uh, the puzzle part of your mind, you know, overcoming and getting around a challenge or, or looking at something from a different point of view and understanding that you you can you can do it. It's just got to do it a different way, and, and that's really uh, I think it's a really cool aspect of being a disabled person. And you obviously talk a lot. You share your story on the stage. Um, you mentioned off air that you were speaking to a whole heap of uh, school students recently. What what are some of the key messages that that you? like to share on the back of this whole experience? Um, I said it um, before, I think looking at what you do have rather than what you don't um, and, and understanding that, you know, what you do have could be not much, but looking at that from a point of view of what I've not got is irrelevant in, in looking forward to the future. And, you know, we have to learn from our, our mistakes or, or adversities or challenges. We, and from that, we, we've actually gained a lot. We've gained a lot of learning. And um, there's you know, so many sayings out there about, you know, learning from your failures and, and moving forward and, and capitalizing on, on the opportunity that failure provides. And I think um, improving from, from what you've been through before is, is really uh, amazing opportunity that um, only per- a person that tries to do something uh, will, will understand. Mm. You also said uh, in passing a second ago, you said it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And you used it in the context of, um, I think, your recovery plan and, and the training and, and actually being able to walk. Um, how do you reckon that actually relates to, to this whole to your life to now, Curtis, in terms of when you started out, you, uh, I'm sure, had no idea of what life would be like um, if you lost two legs. And now now you're living your life totally different with lots of different experiences. So that term, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. How would you put that into the context of how you're becoming your brilliant self now? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that... Um it gives you sort of perspective on, on you know, the work you put in um, once, you, once you do finish and having a look at the, you know, the bigger picture around it. Um, and most people have tried something and failed it and then improved on that and then gotten better and won't make the same mistake again. And if you do, you're learning again. So um, pushing forward, and, and moving through the, the task and looking at what's ahead and, and, and obviously hopefully crossing the line um, in, a, in a positive manner. And I think um, being, being in an opportunity of starting the task is the hard part. I think um, having started the, 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 the challenge or the task is you know, half the battle. And it's, it's like going to the gym for the first time. You haven't been there for you know, um, a while. And, that then just by going is the, the beginning and then 
from the product of going to the, the gym, um, you know, you're getting fitter and it's, it, you're f- finishing in a, in a better, better place than what you started. And I think that's sort of why I, I said what I, uh, that before. Mm. Who, who has been your biggest influence in terms of the decisions that you've made and the choices that you've made and, and what you're doing now? Who's been the biggest influence in your life so far? I'd have to say it'd probably be my my wife now. Um, you know, she's an amazing uh, rock and and my support and 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 has helped me guide my decisions by being quite a, a type A person. Um, she's she's a, a an ICU doctor, so um, incredibly driven and, and motivated to 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 perform. Obviously, when it's life and death and. Before she became you know, a, a qualified doctor, she she was studying so hard right through my rehabilitation whilst I was in hospital. And for her to go through, you know, I, I said it before about the trauma that was sort of filtering through my friends and family, and seeing her sort of perform or well, yeah, not perform, but study so hard to achieve her goals was really inspiring. And um, looking at what she was able to achieve despite what was what was happening around her was uh, really cool to, to witness. And if I could stream her into this podcast right now, what would you like to say to her? Um, I would, would have to say a massive thank you. You know, I, I wouldn't be in the position I am uh, without her and um, without her support and, and love and, and, and caring manner in which she sort of addresses my challenges and and the way she can also understand my position um, is really important you know we we've been through the whole situation together and that's been uh, really nice to have her in my corner and and helping me and um, I'm I'm very 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 grateful for her to be there. Yeah you mentioned um, earlier on that we can have goals, but unless we've got the right people around us um, supporting us all the way, um, it's it's actually quite hard to get them. And I think that that crowd of people that have been part of your journey, irrespective of how mm. how that journey unfolds, are absolutely critical. And um, when we talk about this podcast, is obviously all about unleashing brilliance. Um, and what I love about your story, Curtis, is how you've been able to. Uh, use your experience and and the injury and turn it into now representing our Australia in terms of sport, but also uh, the way that you're sharing your messages and your learnings with the wider community is is phenomenal. What what to you is unleashing brilliance? What does becoming brilliant mean to you? Um, I reckon it's the saying of it doesn't matter where you come as long as you try your best and your best is everything you can do and regardless if that's um you know winning a gold medal or not it it um you know it means that you've tried everything you can and and that that way you can be left fulfilled that you gave it the best attempt you can um and that i think is um sort of unleashing brilliance is is giving it a go and and doing your best and whatever that task may be Curtis, it's been an absolute joy to chat to you. Congratulations on everything that you have achieved and uh, the work that you are continuing to do. Some of the key things I've taken from what you've talked about, um, this concept of look at what you do have versus you don't um, and how how to leverage this. 
And I think that um, in this world where we are bombarded with distraction and equally bombarded with conformity or a need to keep up and do what everyone else is doing, that ability to be able to tap into what you've got and leverage it is is incredible. Um, and aligning with that, you talked about the importance of um, setting yourself a goal because if you can set a goal and be supported by other people, it opens up incredible possibilities. And the final message around learning from adversity um, and how actually we can all, doesn't matter what level of adversity, but every adversity challenges us to learn from it and to gain from it. And I think every single one of us has the chance to do that. Before we say goodbye, what's next for you? What's What's next in the life of Curtis? Yeah, so it's uh, just about to get very busy in, in my life for, for my sport side of things. We've got Tokyo 2020 just around the corner. I think it's like 249 days away or something like that. And it's uh, a huge uh, event and it's only going to be an hour's time difference from Australia. So it's going to be massive at home and, and overseas. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to, to wearing the green and gold again and um, hopefully uh, coming away with a couple of medals. Well, we are wishing you and we're behind you and cheering you on from the sidelines. I think it's incredibly, I'm inspired by your story. I've heard you speak a couple of times. I follow you on social media and uh, everything that you're doing certainly is an inspiration to me. So anyone that's listening to this that would love to find out more or um, look at how they can uh, equally share your story with people they work with, how do they get hold of you? How do they find you? Yeah, so if you just jump on my website, it's um, www.curtismcgrath.com.au and follow my social media stories as well with um, Instagram and Facebook and um, you know, reach out if you want to ask some questions. I'm very, uh, very open to that and uh, I look forward to hearing from people. Curtis, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. It's my pleasure. Ta. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.